Thank you, everyone. I'm just excited to share her today. I just feel honored and blessed to do this. And so before we start, I just would like to pray. Well, Father God, we just thank you that you are already here and that you're just so gracious to us. You're just so kind and you're so gentle and you're just full of mercy. And God, we just welcome you here today. God, we just ask that you would just rest upon us and that we would be a place where you could dwell. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like Tim said, I have written a book, and it's pretty awesome. And it's, it kind of feels unreal to me. Um, first, if, Carrie, if you could put up that picture of the dinosaur. So I saw this a couple weeks on Instagram. It says, me in the morning hoping to be a better parent one hour later. And I just thought that was so funny and just so true. I think even my boys, when I showed them, they're like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but like I said, I wrote a parenting book. Um, this is the book that I wrote. And um, I think that it is, when, you, when it comes to parenting, I just, and you can take it down if you want. Um, but I don't think any of, parent ever starts off wanting to fail and I mean I don't want anyone here to ever I don't think anyone should feel like a failure as a parent but parenting is a very hard job and um, you know when I think about that scene up there I just think how many people wake up every day and they just they want to be a better parent they don't want to do what they did the day before but at the same time the motivation sometimes isn't enough. And I just want to encourage you as a parent, I'm not going to try to talk to parent, mothers or just parents the whole day, but that to get tools and to get resources. And I do have this book out here, but I, if you want to talk to me, I've read a lot of parenting books. And there are a lot of good parenting books out there that cover things that I've never talked about in my book. But this book is a lot about um, just prayer and hearing God's voice, the Holy Spirit, discovering that each of your kids is different and how to train them and how to equip them and how to lead them to serve the Lord. And I, if you're not a parent here, I've had many people have already read the book and said anybody could apply from this. The stories all are about parenting and you can read some really good stories about my kids in here. I told them before it was published that they should read through and make sure there's nothing they don't want, but none of them did. So <laughs> it's all theirs. And Titus, my son here, he's all, he read the whole book. So he knows all my secrets. <laughs> so I want to encourage you to go out today. I'm out, going to be out there signing the book. And you can get a book, and if you are maybe a parent, you can buy one and give it to someone else. Um, and also, I am going to be selling earrings out there, and that 100% of that goes to fighting human trafficking, to A21 if you're interested in that. And, yeah. And um, so I was, my son Zeke up there is doing the sound, and he was telling me, when we were going to do this, that I needed to have one of those fancy signatures, you know, 
like, <laughs> like all the, the famous people have. And so he was like, okay, you got to be good about doing it. So we came up here on Thursday, and we were setting up my book, and he was like telling me how I needed to do that. And I was like, okay, so I was thinking of giving away this book today. And I was like, I don't know, Zeke's like, Mom, why didn't you practice on paper? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and so it's really embarrassing, but I, I tried making a professional one. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it's it, I was just like it was this was my original it was really bad and then I added that to try to make it better but <laughs> so anyway but I was hopefully this isn't embarrassing to anybody here but when I was thinking about it I just felt like the Lord was like there's someone here today that feels like they've screwed up and you're, you're still raising your kids, but you just feel kind of like you've already messed up. It's too late. And I don't know who it is, but I want to give this book to you. And I know it might take boldness for you to come up here or just raise your hand, and I can have one of my kids take it. Is there anybody here? Yeah. So anyway, thank you. Okay, well, today I just want to start off with talking about a story that I haven't shared with many people, um, mostly just because I feel, I guess, maybe uncomfortable with it. But I had kind of thought about putting it in my book, and it sounds kind of weird, but I never really felt a liberty to. It never just, It just never felt like it fit. But... About 10 years ago, I was just really struggling, and it's almost embarrassing to say, but <laughs> sometimes our struggles can be so trivial. Um, but I was just struggling because I just, you know, wanted to give my kids great things. Um, I wanted to give them, to be honest, material things. That seems trivial, but just I was wanting to give them things, and... Um, Daniel and I live in a small house, and one of the things I just, I wanted them to have their own room. And they, they still, to this day, all share a small room. And, you know, when Zeke needs to drum, they all get kicked out. And when Titus needs to do his guitar, they all get kicked out. And we need a schedule in here, you know. And I was just struggling because I wanted to give my kids great things. And I think that in the room we all are that way. We want to give our kids a good education. We want to give them nice shoes. We don't want them to be the kid at school that's, you know, looking like they got their clothes at the Goodwill or something. And I just was struggling because I wanted to give my kids these great things that I couldn't give them. And in a sense, I was upset with God about it. And I was upset because it's like, God, can't you give me these things? And the real reality was is I couldn't give these things to my kids because of my commitment to the Lord, and it had been my choice. You know, I've chosen to stay home with my kids, and so Daniel and I have one income, and I have chosen to do a lot of volunteering around here, and I've chosen to give my life to God and do things for God, and in the midst of it, I found myself, even though I had chosen to that. I had made that decision to God. I um, 
almost was blaming God for it. And I, it was a Saturday morning, and I was just kind of wrestling through it again. And not, I mean, you could call it praying, but it was probably more complaining. <laughs> and I just, and the Lord gave me this vision. And I had this vision. And in this vision, I saw these, I don't know if you guys will be able to see them, but these fake jewels that you can get to put on costumes and stuff. And I saw a vision of these jewels all laying out. And the Lord just said to me, those things you want to give your children are like these fake jewels. And they hold no value in my presence. And then the Lord showed me, then I saw this picture of real treasures. And the Lord said, I'm giving your kids real treasures. I'm building character in your children. I'm building patience in your children. Your children are learning how to share and how to work together. And what I'm giving them is so much more valuable. And from that moment on, I no longer struggled with feeling bad because I, when we make a decision to follow God, it costs us. But it doesn't just cost us. It costs people around us. And my children have had to pay a price for the cost that I have chosen to follow God. And I used to feel bad about that. I used to feel like that struggle and that tension of being like, oh, if I could do this, then I could give them that. But from that moment on, after the Lord showed me that, I never struggled anymore with feeling bad about what I couldn't give my kids. Because there's something so much more better that I could give my kids. And in that moment, 10 years ago, I was getting caught up in things that didn't matter. My perspective was off. And, you know, my oldest son, Zeke, just got his driver's license. <laughs> and he's, he's been bugging me, like, God, get, you should give me a car, you know. And, and, you know, but I can't give him a car. And that's something that 10 years ago, I might have felt bad about it. But I don't. And sorry, Zeke, I don't. But, <laughs> but I, I, I can, I'm giving my kids a gift that's so much more valuable. And I'm not going to feel bad about that. And my book, I actually dedicated it to my mom and my two grandparents, uh, Joe and Eleanor Newby, and my dad, who is deceased, and my grandparents are deceased because that's what they modeled for me is to love the Lord. And so today, you know, I think a lot of us, maybe a lot of you guys can relate in the room to that feeling, that tension of holding on to this life, but yet trying to serve God. And maybe just in the midst of the day-to-day and the busyness of life, you've found yourself just getting way off from what really matters. And I don't know if there's anyone here that you just feel like, you know, you've gotten caught up with just trying to give your kids everything. Or you've tried to give your spouse everything that would make them happy. Or you've tried to give your coworkers everything that would make them feel happy. And today, um, I want to just jump into the scriptures. And we're going to start with Matthew 22, 
verse 37 through 40. And the title of my message is The Greatest Gift. And the greatest gift that we can give our kids, the greatest gift we can give our future spouse in our singleness, the greatest gift we can give our coworkers, our friends, our family, maybe your, your future is your commitment to the Lord in loving the Lord is the greatest gift you can give. And so today we'll read that. If you can pull up the next slide. And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. And so we see here in this passage, it's interesting to see that Jesus told us the greatest thing that we can do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, with everything we have. But then he also put, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is interesting that he went and took both of those and put them together. And so when I talk about loving the Lord today, I am talking about loving your neighbor. I'm talking about both of them together. But I think before I dive into this point of loving the Lord, I want to just first give a context of, you know, Jesus put both of those together. And I think that in our mindset, I don't think we always understand why they're put together. You know, I've seen so many people over the years be like, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. Or a lot of people have even gone the other way where they just, I got to love people, I got to love people, I got to love people, and they miss loving the Lord. And, you know, I homeschool my kids, and I was thinking about this term of equilibrium. And I thought of this, you know, when I was looking at this passage about loving the Lord your God with all your heart. I was like, that's kind of like an equilibrium. And then my boys and I were doing chemistry, and they kept, the word kept coming up in all of our science experiments. And, you know, Jesus understood that you can't do one without the other. We think we can. And I don't know if any of you guys know what an equilibrium is, but it is a state of balance between two things. You know, when we have a train, when we have a car, when we have any of these things, we have wheels on both sides so we can balance it. And even if we ride a bike, we have our handlebars that balance it. And when it comes to loving God, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. They both come hand in hand. You cannot separate them. Many people in the church think they can separate them, but if you are not loving your neighbor, then how can you love God? Because God loves his children. Just as a parent, we want our kids to love their siblings. We want them to love one another. And if they don't love each other, it doesn't really feel like they love you. And God does not feel loved when we neglect his people. They're both together. And I was looking at illustrations for an equilibrium, and there were fun ones, but the best one in my mind wouldn't work up here. But the best idea of a visual of an equilibrium is a faucet in a sink. 
God will fill his people with his love. He fills us with his love. But when we don't love other people, it just is like a clogged drain that doesn't drain. And last week when Daniel was speaking, we were having plumbing problems, which fits with this. And our shower, for some reason, on Friday night, stopped draining. And so from Friday night until Sunday night, it it fixed all pretty much by itself with the plunger. Uh, (laughs) After Daniel was done speaking, I tried plunging it before, but it didn't work. But once Daniel was done speaking, it worked. But the problem was is we... It would take a shower, you know, we'd be fine, but it wouldn't drain, so we had to bucket all the water out into the toilet. So, but this is a picture of what it looks like when we walk around saying that we love God, but we're not loving our neighbor. That water, if you let it sit in this tub, it started stinking. It didn't smell good because it was just sitting there, you know? And I know this is a gross illustration, but <laughs> but it is probably gross to God when we go in and we worship him and we love him and we sing songs about him and we're watching all the sermons and all the podcasts but we have pushed everybody aside and we built up walls and we don't love people and so so I want you guys to understand when I'm talking about loving the Lord it's about loving your neighbor as yourself it's about loving God and it's about keeping those in perfect balance it's not just loving people and just or just loving God. It's about being balanced in that. Let me find where I'm going here. Okay. And so like I had said with the jewels, you know, I got I got off on my pursuit of what really mattered. And it's easy for us to to get off, you know, it just, life can get busy, and things can get distracting, and I just want to talk about a couple things, there's probably more that cause us to get off track, so if you want to just put up that first, yeah, there we go, so the th- now you can put up the next one, so is the busyness and the distractions of life, So our busy schedules, you know, we live in America, and even though we have so many modern-day conveniences, every time we find something to save us time, we just fill it to do more things. And we are a busy people, and we're busy checking our Facebook, and we're busy doing our Instagram. (laughs) But in all honesty, we're busy. We're busy doing errands. We're busy, and even the busyness, you know, for me, I wanted to give my kids great things, but some of us are busy as a parent because we're trying to let our kids be in way too many things, involved in way too many things. And we're so busy running them back and forth because we want to make sure that they have all the options of everything. And some of us here are busy because we're trying to please our boss, and we're busy because we're trying to please our spouse, and we're busy because of all these things, and, and then the distractions of life, I think that was kind of where I was, where I was distracted by just things that don't really matter, and we can get distracted by um, wanting to fit in, we can get distracted by, you know, we want to have our good retirement, and we want to be able to go golf, and we want to be able to, you know, 
save up for this vacation and we want to be able to get that new yard and that we want to get our kids these things or we want to whatever and they can be distracting and let's just look to God's word if you want to pull up we're now we're going to look in Luke 9 57 through 62 and this is in the King James version now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him Lord I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And I think many of us have found ourselves in that place where we have given our life to the Lord and we have kind of just gotten to this where we said, Lord, I'll follow you when my finances get better. I'll do that thing that you asked me to do. And God, when... I get my health better than I'll do. I will give you everything. And when my kids get older, I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything when this happens or this. And we keep making these excuses of God. When this happens, then I will follow you. But we see from Jesus that he said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. And God is saying, now. And I think when we, to keep, get us back on track, what we need to do is we must make room for him now, right now. Not tomorrow morning when you get up, not next week, not when you get through the summer. You know, a lot of us want to, you know, take the summer off from serving God. (laughs) But right now, we want to say, today, I'm going to make room. I'm going to look at my life, and I'm going to cut things out of my life. And I think that when we look at our life, we need to scale it through. When we make room for God, what does God want? What is God calling me to? And what are the things that I just want? And what are the things that I'm just doing because my spouse wants me to do, or my kids want me to do, or this person wants me to do? But we need to filter all of that out and be like, God, what do you want? Okay, so now we're going to look at the next, another verse. And if you want to pull this one up, this is in the Passion Translation. um, Luke 9, 23 through 25. And Jesus said to all of his followers, If you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own. Surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourself, you will lose what you were trying to keep. Even if you gain all the wealth and the power and all the things it could offer, yet you lose your soul in the process what good is that? 
And Jesus is telling us something that is so backwards in our society. You can take that down if you want, I think. He is saying that when we go and we build our life upon ourself, our desires, what we want, that we lose. We, it doesn't make any sense to us. But he's saying that when you do that, you lose. And I think that, you know, I've watched, a, I've been around a handful of people in their latter years of their life when they're on their deathbed. And a lot of them have to be, I don't know how to say it without it feeling heavy, a gr- regret. And because what they built their life on, what they, all the things they did, don't really matter now. And I think that you can see from that that what, what really does matter. You know, and I'm a very futuristic person, and I know I think differently than a lot of people. But the question I have for you today is, when you're 85 years old, for some of you think you'll never be at that age, but it's coming a lot quicker. <laughs> but, but what do you really care? When you're on your deathbed, when you've lived your whole life, what are you really going to care about? Today we came in here and we all had a bunch of ideas about our day, what we were going to do, what we wanted to do, what needed to get done, what was important, what was valuable. But when you're 85 years old, when you're 90 years old, what do you really want? And I know for me, there's not really much that I want. The list is probably really short for all of us. If we took the time to write down what's going to be important, it's going to be a short list. You know, for me, it's that I follow God. It's that I stayed faithful to Daniel and that we have a great marriage and that my kids follow the Lord. There's nothing else I care about. And I just want to encourage you to to think that through. What are the things that have been draining you and wearing you out that you're not going to care about later? Because in the moment we can get so caught up in things that don't matter, that don't sustain, that don't have lasting value, we, we can just get so busy collecting our jewels. I bought these at Joann's and... We didn't know how many were in there, so we're trying to make sure we have enough because I have some of these for you guys to take home today. And (laughs) my son, Josh and Titus, they helped me count them. And then Joshua went on the calculator, and he did his figures. And he figured out that 30 of these jewels are one cent. And I think that there's a lot of our, our things that we've been putting a lot of value in in our life, and they're really worthless. They're really not that important. So now I want to go into the second thing that causes us to get off track. We get held back by our inadequacies and our weaknesses. And... If you know anything about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, 
is he'll ask you to do things that you don't want to do. When you follow God and you give him everything, I can guarantee you he's going to get to ask you to do things you don't want to do, and mostly you'll feel inadequate for it, and you'll feel held back by it. So I want to read this passage. It's kind of a long passage, but I think you can bear with me. So it's from Judges 6, 11 through 24, and it's in the Passion Translation. And the angel of Yahweh came to the village of Ophred and sat down under the oak tree that belonged to Joash, a man of the clan of Abenezer. His son Gideon was secretly threshing some wheat in a wine press so that the Mennonites would not see them. Now, they're in captivity to the Mennonites because of their sin. So just know that. So Yahweh's angel appeared to Gideon. So Gideon's hiding because he's in fear. And he said, Yahweh's presence will go with you. Oh, I read that. Yeah. Man of fearless courage. So he's hiding in a wine press, and the angel comes to him and says, You're a man of fearless courage. Me? Gideon replied. But sir, if Yahweh is truly with us, why have all these troubles come on us? Where are all the miracle wonders that our father told us about when they said, Did not Yahweh deliver us out of Egypt? But now Yahweh has abandoned us and put us under the power of the Mennonites. Then Yahweh himself faced Gideon directly and said, Am I not sending you? With my presence you will have all you need. Go in the strength that you now have and rescue Israel from the Mennonites' power. Gideon said to him, But Lord, how could I ever rescue Israel? Of all the thousands of Manasseh, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least qualified in my family. Yahweh replied, My presence and my power will be with you. Believe me, Gideon, you will crush the Mennonites as if easily as if you were only one man. Then God said, If it's true that you will go with me and that I have found grace before your eyes, then show me a a miracle sign to prove that you are really Yahweh speaking to me. Don't leave until I return with an offering to you. And he answered, I will wait here until you return. So Gideon went and cooked a young goat and many loaves of bread. He placed the meat in a basket and broth in a pot and took the offering and presented it to him under an oak tree. And God's angel said to Gideon, Place some meat and bread on the rock and pour the broth over them. And Gideon did so. And then Yahweh's angel reached out the staff he was holding and touched the meat and bread. And all at once, supernatural fire sprang up from the rock, burned up the meat and the bread. And the angel of Yahweh vanished from his sight. Immediately Gideon realized he had seen the angel of Yahweh. Terror stricken, he said, O Lord Yahweh, I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. But Yahweh spoke to him and said, Be at peace, don't be afraid. Will you not die? So Gideon built an altar to Yahweh there and named it, And Yahweh, there is peace. And I don't know if all of you guys are familiar with that passage, but I just love that passage. I'm not saying that you should go out and just give God a test to make sure you want to need to do something. But... Gideon, God asked him to be the one to go and deliver the people from the Mennonites. And he responded, God, I'm the weakest. I'm the least qualified. Why my family? Why my clan? I'm not the one that should do it. 
And as we love God, he's going to call us to do things that we don't want to do, that we feel inadequate for, that we feel weak for. But you see that he said, you're going to go and crush the Mennonites as if it was one man. You're going to go and get the victory. You're going to do it. And so the next thing I want to, if you want to put that next one up, when we must remember that his grace will show up. That even though we may feel weak and we may feel inadequate to do what God's calling us to do, he will give us grace for it. And he will empower us. And God loves using weak people for some reason. He loves using us where we feel least equipped. And he went and was able to, Gideon was able to beat the army as if it was one man not because he had all this skill, not because he was from a great tribe, not because he was this, but because God's grace was on him. And Gideon loved the Lord, and Gideon made himself available to God, and God said, this is what I want you to do. And as you go, and as you love God, and as you make room for God in your life, he's going to ask you to do things that you don't want to do, but he's going to give you grace to do it. And about two years ago is when the Lord asked me to write this book. And I just, I died. I was just like, oh, Lord, I can't do this. And God's asked me to do a lot of things that I have not wanted to do. <laughs> but this was probably like the hardest of all of them. Because um, I had a hard education. I went to this Christian school. I got really behind. And reading and writing were like, out of the question. I am not a writer. I am not a speller. And it is like my weakest link, if you want to say. And I just, I just struggled with it. And I knew I heard God clear. And because I love God, I did it. And I, I knew I was going to do it. There's no way I couldn't not do it because God told me to. And it, and I just remember I told Daniel after a while, I finally worked up the courage, and I told Daniel, you can't tell anybody. I was like, I don't want anyone asking me about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to do it. And I literally only told a handful of people that I was doing it until I even got it done, because I just, I just had to obey God. And I remember, I don't know if, any of you, if anybody here knows Tina and Tracy, they come to second service, but I was telling them about it, and they were like, well... They were like, do you think that maybe this was what God was calling you to? That this was what God had for you? Like to be a writer or whatever. I mean, hopefully not more than one book. But um, they were like, do you think that, that you found yourself having all those experiences in your childhood with school because the enemy was trying to stop this? And I never saw it that way. You know, I don't really know biblically, but what if your weaknesses are not just the weaknesses that you had, but they were actually the way the enemy tried to take you out? And when they told me that, I didn't, I just, I had a new courage inside of me. I just had, I already was committed to writing this book. I already knew I was going to do it. But there was this thought in the back of my head that was like, if that, all that stuff I went through, all the pain, 
If that was because that was the enemy trying to stop this, then I'm not going to let that stop it. I'm not going to let it stop it. And so I pulled through, I wrote the book, and um, Daniel, after it was already published, read it, and he found some typos in there. I was like, (laughs) he kept being like, here's another one, just so you know. And I'm like, he's like, that must be so hard for you. And in all honesty, I don't really want typos in my book, don't get me wrong, but it really wasn't. It didn't bother me, but it's because I think it, it's, I'm a perfectionist, so you would think it would bother me, but I think it was because when I said yes to writing this book, I was already saying yes to letting my weakness be right out there in the open, that it was, I had already worked through it. I already know what it's going to be is what it's going to be. And so um, I was listening to this sermon by Steve Furtick when I was already planning on doing this, and he, I'm going to quote what he said. He said, God hides treasures in our weakness. And I just want to encourage you today that maybe there's some, some of us here haven't, are too busy and we need to make room. But some of us have room, and we're at the place where we, haven't been doing some things that God has asked us to do because of our weakness. And I just want you to know that there are, I believe that's true, that there are treasures in our weakness. And there are, in your weaknesses, there are treasures in there that God wants to give other people that those people will never experience that treasure if we let our weakness be too big. And I think, I look at these jewels And I think how many of us have made our weakness like a valuable diamond. We've made them so important. And we've made them so valuable. And God looks at our weakness as so insignificant.